start of college football, I was reminded of a story that took place. It's been a few years. It was New Year's Day, actually, and the University of Alabama was playing Rice University. Dick Magel for Rice University had taken a handoff and was going across the right end and broke through the defense and was cruising down the sideline when a man named Tommy Lewis, who was on the Alabama bench, came off of the bench tackled this guy about the 50-yard line, and then went back to the bench and tried to hide. It's an actual true story. It was called the Sports Oddity of 1954. But a couple of weeks later, on a talk show, they had both of these guys, and, and the, the, the guy of the talk show said, Tommy, Tommy, what made you do it? And, and I wrote down his response. And he said, well... I guess I was just so full of Alabama that I couldn't help myself. Well, Alabama lost that game 28-6 to to Rice University on New Year's Day of 1954, and Tommy Lewis has been remembered ever since then for that play. But you know, he was so full of Alabama just passionate about his team, and the other team scoring on him just worked him up so that he'd come off the bench. They awarded the guy a touchdown for the run, by the way. As I think about the Apostle Paul, I see someone who is so full of Jesus that as he faces opposition and affliction and persecution and ridicule and criticism, he just keeps sharing the gospel. Despite the people who rejected, despite the hatred that was thrown his way, he just was so full of Jesus and the gospel, he just kept on sharing. And what a challenge and what a model and what an example he is to us. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 as we think about the challenge of Paul as he was sharing the gospel. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll read the first eight verses together, but keep your Bible open because we're going to make reference to the first 12 verses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, pick up in verse number 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, We were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from man, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle. We were gentle among you, as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you, We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become so dear to us. And with that, let's pray. God, I ask that you would 
uh, speak and move, and that we would be hearers of the word, and that your word would be like seed, that it would fall on the good soil of our heart today. Father, may you just inspire us through Paul's example and witness to be a witness of the gospel in your name. Amen. As we think about the message of God's word and the truth of the gospel, we clearly understand the Bible is politically incorrect. We understand and recognize that what culture has, has uh, placed as an emphasis is often totally against what God's word shows us. God's word shows us the preciousness of life from the womb till tomb through eternity when we receive a new body. We understand and recognize that the Bible confronts every one of us with moral absolutes and moral truths and a standard of right and wrong. And the Bible looks all of us in the face and says, you are a sinner. And while I point at you all, remember there's more fingers pointing back at me as I say that as well. That we are sinners. That we are held accountable to a holy, all-knowing, all-righteous God that one day we will stand before. The world doesn't want accountability and it doesn't want moral truth, but there's one other thing that divides Christianity from everything and every other religion out there that makes it very, very different. And that is this, we believe there's one way and his name is Jesus. Some would say that's intolerant. And that is bigoted. And that's exactly why the Bible is not politically correct. And I don't think God really cares. God's not interested in our opinion. He has shown us his word and his truth. As we think about the the challenges that standing on God's word has brought, I mean, we find all the way from Cain and Abel, that Abel, the righteous one, was killed by his unrighteous, sinful brother. We we find throughout the history of the Old Testament that there were prophets and that stood for God. Namely, just, just as an example, there was King Ahab and Jezebel who wanted to wipe out the prophets of God and Elijah with them. As we look at once the children of Israel were carried off to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar built a a huge, huge idol and said, everyone will bow. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow, they were thrown into a furnace. After the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire took over. And there, King Darius, being tricked into a, a scheme by some of his advisors, said that no one can pray And Daniel, because of that, was thrown into a lion's den. We come into the New Testament and we find that John the Baptist, because he confronted the king who had stolen his, or has taken his brother's wife, is beheaded. John the Baptist. Then we come to the book of Acts and we realize that as the gospel goes forth, that King Herod in Acts chapter 12 beheads James and is going to do the same to Peter had not Peter been let out of jail by an angel. 
as Paul begins his second missionary journey. He comes into the city of Philippi in Acts chapter 16, and after casting a demon out of a young girl, he's thrown into prison. Then we find that after he's beaten and thrown into prison, he slides down to Thessalonica where there's a riot. And then he's run out of Thessalonica and he goes to Berea where he finds some people are actually open to reading God's truth. And then he goes on to Athens where he is ridiculed. And then he later goes on into to Ephesus and to Corinth. We find the message of the gospel despite the fact that, that there was religious and political enemies of the truth of God's word that Paul stood firm and Paul challenges us to do the same. And as we look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we see this boldness of Paul to share the gospel. We see this heart of Paul to share the gospel. So as we think about this together, I want us to really kind of lay this out in in the form of two, two challenges today. Two challenges to us, to be gospel people. First off, notice as we think about Paul and and this boldness, notice in verse 2, after we had suffered and were spitefully treated, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God. So first, challenge for us, be faithful to share the gospel. Be faithful to share the gospel. There are few things that matter for eternity. The gospel is one. The truth of God's word matters not only for life, but for eternity. And as Paul is going about sharing the gospel, he realizes that this is the only message. Jesus died for our sin. He was buried. He rose from the dead. Man can be reconciled to God only one way. And Paul knows that in the the face of opposition, there's only one way to move. And that's forward with the gospel. Be faithful to share the gospel. As we think about that, be be faithful to share the gospel despite past treatment or despite the treatment. Paul, he notices past treatment. He says, man, you remember what happened to me in in Philippi? Notice in verse 2, he says, we were spitefully treated at Philippi. They were run out of town there in Thessalonica. But I wonder, what if Paul would have said, after Philippi, I quit? and never gone to Thessalonica, and never gone to Berea, and had never stepped into Corinth, and had never stepped into Athens, and had never stepped into Ephesus. Paul was determined because of the truth of the gospel. He had played and and tried to live this religious life of climbing up a ladder to achieve a legalistic righteousness. If I can do enough good, I'm going to make it to God. If I can persecute those who, who are against the law, is following the law as the way of righteousness, then, then I'm going to, to excel up this ladder and Paul has it all come crashing down in Acts chapter 9 where he meets the Lord. And he comes to realize it's all about the gospel. Be faithful to share the gospel but despite your treatment. Could you imagine when Paul came into the city of Thessalonica? He was probably three or four days, this is probably three or four days following his beating in Philippi. So after being beaten and locked up in stocks in Philippi, he travels down through Amphipolis and Apollonia and comes into Thessalonica. He has traveled a hundred miles with the open wounds and the beatings that he experienced in Philippi. 
Why did he do it? Because of the gospel. Be faithful to share the gospel despite your treatment, but be faithful to share the gospel because you have been entrusted by God. Notice what Paul says in verse number four, because this is, this is really Paul's heart. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. Paul says, I'm a steward. I've been tr- entrusted with the gospel. Have you ever been entrusted? Someone drops children off at your house to, to be babysat and you are entrusted with those children. I remember the first time that we had moved to uh, the city of Olive Branch and, and uh, Luke was nine months old at the time and we were doing all the moving stuff and one of the ladies of the church said, I'll take him. We didn't know her at all. And everyone said, oh, you can trust her, you can trust her, you can trust her, you can trust her. And so... Off she went with this heavy heart, Julie's thinking, should I trust this lady with my baby? Well, we entrusted her and we still love and trust her today and try to see her at least a couple of times a year. We call her our big mama in, down in Olive Branch. But the first time we met her, she took our child. She was entrusted entrusted with something precious to us. Paul says, I have been entrusted with the gospel. Now notice Paul uses nine negative statements on, on, the, uh, on, on the concern of his reputation maybe being wrong in sharing the gospel. Now, notice what he says down with me in verse number three. He says, man, I've been entrusted with the gospel. And notice what he says, for our exhortation did, did not come from error did not come from uncleanness. It was not in deceit. Paul said, I didn't come to share the gospel and try to be deceitful or unclean or, or in any way uh, try to, try to uh, trick anybody. Notice down in verse number four, he says, we've been approved of God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not as pleasing man. So we're not seeking to please man. Notice in verse number five, we did not flatter. We didn't use flattering words. We didn't have a cloak of covetousness. We did not seek glory from men, verse number six. We didn't seek glory from you. We didn't seek glory from others. We only wanted one thing to happen, Jesus to be clearly shared so that people would know and understand him alone as the only way of salvation. Paul says, I didn't have a wrong motive here, and I didn't have a wrong motive here, and I didn't have a wrong motive here. I just wanted you to know. Actually, Paul shows us his motive. Notice back with me in verse number four. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God. You know what Paul's motivation was in sharing the gospel? Please God. Please, God. Can I tell you and remind you today that though there are many people that you may influence and there are many people that are watching how you live, you are to live for a primary audience of one. Your life is to be motivated by a primary audience of one. Paul says, I'm not trying to to please men. I'm trying to please God. And the truth is, as I've shared before, it really doesn't make any difference who you displease if you please God. And the truth is, it really doesn't make any difference who you please if you displease God.
Paul says, I have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So I speak not as pleasing man, but God. My heart's desire is to trust God, to live for God, to speak the truth of God. It's all about him and not about me. Be faithful. Be faithful to share the gospel. That's Paul's heart. He was questioned and persecuted and ridiculed and opposed, afflicted, and he kept sharing the gospel. I heard a funny story about uh, two men who were reading gas meters and uh, they had parked down at one end of the street. And my dad used to be a meter reader for what used to be Union Electric. And then my brother was a meter reader for a while. But this guy was working for the gas company. And they parked their car down at the end of the street. And they just kind of went by to check the, the, the gas meters. And as they went by to check the gas meters, they uh, came to the end of the street. And one was a supervisor. And he was a little bit older. But he thought he was pretty full of himself. And the other one was, was a young guy. And this young guy thought, man, this, this, is a, this is an old fogey. So the older guy says, look. Do you want to try to race back to the, to the truck? And so they say, on your mark, get set, go. And they start running down the road. Well, a lady saw them cut through her front yard as she was standing at the window and saw those two gas men running down the road as fast as they could toward their car. So she took off out of the house and ran after them as fast as she could. And when they got to the truck, they said, what's, what's the matter? What are you doing? She said, man, if I see two gas men running from my meter that fast across my yard, I think something's going to blow. Paul, people knew that when he came into their town, And as he rushed from one place to another, he had something to share. The power of the gospel so that he would proclaim in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentile. That's the power of the gospel, the life-changing emphasis of the gospel. But notice, we're to be faithful to share the gospel But Paul doesn't stop there. You know, the truth is, is that really sometimes people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think Paul understood this and lived this out right here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Take your Bibles and look with me down in in verse number 8. He says, we were affectionately longing for you. And we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. So not only be faithful to share the gospel, but be faithful to share your life, to share your life. Now, every once in a while, we'll hear, we'll hear stories. There was a man who found a Bible in a hotel. There was someone who picked up a track. And they read it and they trusted Jesus as their savior. But can I tell you, the vast majority of people who come to know Jesus as their savior do that because someone shared personally with them in a relationship with them. And as they shared their life, they shared the gospel. 
So Paul actually gives three pictures. As we think about being faithful to share our life, Paul gives us three pictures on this aspect of, of sharing your life as, as you serve. So first example he gives, share your life as you serve. First off, verse number seven. But we were gentle among you as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Serve tenderly as a nursing mother. Now, I have to admit, this is not the most masculine picture of Paul that we see in the New Testament. That we came and we were like a gentle, tender mom with a newborn. There's just something precious about that moment in the delivery room where a baby is laid on top of the mama. There is just something that is amazing as as she takes that baby home and just holds that baby and for hours can just sit in a chair and, and rock and look down at the eyes of that little baby. Many of us have hours of video, typically of our first child, because once we have more than one, we're too busy to get the rest of them, you know what I'm saying? But of our first child, and we just have hours of them doing nothing. We just look at them. It's just such a a tender, gentle, awesome moment. And that baby can do nothing. Sleep, eat, go to the bathroom, and cry. That's really about it. That baby really, I mean, you know, if they came home and they did the dishes, or if they could do laundry, but they come home and they do nothing. But there's just something so precious. And Paul says, I was gentle, like a nursing mom. I I don't know what you think about Paul. Paul was a tent maker. I'd imagine he had some big old calloused hands. He had just experienced uh, being beaten in Philippi a few months prior to this. He had been stoned at times and shipwrecked and all of these things that he went through. And you look at Paul as this manly man. And Paul says, I was gentle. I think in our day that we live it right now, people need uh, some gentleness. They, they need love and they need hope. They, they need tenderness. All that's happened the last 18 to 20 months has, has for some people just been completely emotionally overwhelming. And maybe God calls us to step up and be like a gentle mom. His second picture, down in verse number uh, nine, he says, you remember brethren, or he's calling them brothers, our labor and our toil for laboring night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. Serve sacrificially as as a brother. We are to have this sense of 
of he, he's saying here, when we came into Thessalonica, we didn't want to burden you. We didn't want you to have to pay our bills. We, we didn't want you to have to meet all of our needs. So we sacrificed and, and we fought hard to take care of ourselves while we were seeking to share the gospel. The, the truth is, is sometimes as a brother, and I have three sisters and two brothers here on earth. One, my brothers has passed on to heaven already, but I don't want to inconvenience my brothers and sisters. So, so there would be times in my life where I would just think, I'll just do it on my own. <laughs> and, and I think that's Paul's heart here. He's saying, I'm just, I'm just going to carry the load. It's a little heavier on me, but I don't want to burden anyone else. So I'm going to serve sacrificially as a brother. And then he gives that third picture. Notice down with me in verse number 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Serve boldly as an encouraging father. When we look at, at this picture, he, he gives the picture of, I want you to be tender like a, like a mother, but, but I want you to exhort and even come to the place of imploring as a father. Now, my, my dad was a, a, especially when it come to athletics, he would push. And if you're going to sign up and play, then man, get in there and, and, and give it all you got. And he'd come and watch my games and, and we'd spend hours shooting baskets or throwing the baseball. It was pushing, pushing in a good way, in a healthy way. I'm not talking about trying to live his life through, vicariously through mine. I'm, I'm not talking about anything, you know, weird or off. He just, he just wanted me to, to excel and to push. When I was about 11 years old, uh, me and my dad and, and my two younger brothers, my brother Lee would have been nine, my brother Dale would have been seven, and uh, we were going fishing. And so my dad's driving the truck. We were going to a friend's farm pond down in Festus, Missouri. And so we're pulling to go down to the farm pond. You got to go down and kind of into the valley to get to the farm pond. And we had to cross the cow pasture. And so as we're crossing the pasture, uh, there's an, an electric uh, fence. And it's just one single strand of, of uh, hot electric fence barbed wire that's laying across. And, and I've watched my dad do it a hundred times as we fished. And he said... Uh, Bud, do you want to go grab that? And I said, okay. So, I mean, I knew where to touch, and I, and I grabbed it, but I wasn't quite strong enough to, to unhook it. So I thought, I'm going to lean into this, and I leaned into it in order to get some strength. And man, that barbed wire electric fence hit me on the side at that moment. None of you have seen me dance, but I'm telling you, it, I mean, I'm jumping and I'm running back toward the truck and I, I empathize with my father now. I didn't totally understand it then. But have you ever comforted your child and laughed at them at the same time? <laughs> I mean, my dad's, I, my brothers, my two younger brothers, their eyes are like, oh my goodness. And, and my dad, he's just cracking up. That farmer had that, uh, had that electric fence juiced up for his cows. I'm telling you, it, it got me and got me good. And, and as I'm back at the truck and, and he's hugging and just say, man, it's all right. I'll, you know, and then he got it and we went and fished and then pulled out and, and he did the gate. And then we went fishing back there again. 
And he said, Bud, you want to get the fence? Yep. And I went out and I got the fence and I carried it to the side. The truck drove through, went back, hooked it back up and got in the truck and we fished. My mom wouldn't have told me to go out and do that fence again. It was my dad pushing me, imploring, challenging me, saying, come on, man, I believe in you. You can do it. And that's the picture. There are many today who have thought that the best way to share the gospel is to come across in an ugly and obnoxious fashion in order to do it. Can I tell you, the gospel is offense enough. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who perish, to those who don't understand. But Paul gives us the example. As we seek to share the gospel, maybe we need to be gentle like a mom, coming alongside and working hard like a brother. And maybe we need to be an encourager like a father. Share your life as you serve. But not only does Paul say it's about sharing your life, but he also points out that it's about walking worthy of the Lord as you do it. Notice what he says, verse number 12, that you would walk worthy of God. Now, how do you walk worthy of God? Notice back in verse number 10. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. How do you walk worthy? He tells us in verse number 10. Walk devoutly, a holy life before God. He challenges us to walk justly, righteously before man and to be blameless so that there's no accusations that stick to you. Yesterday was the day that probably any of you that are over 25, 26 years old, it's a day that you'll never forget where you were on 9-11-2001. You just don't forget. I remember the day. I remember what was going on in my life. I remember uh, coming home and watching on the TV with with Julie, and our uh, boys were very small at the time. It was the day. And through this week and with commentaries on TV and special shows, we've been reminded of the horror and destruction and terror of that day. A day, hopefully, to never be repeated. But as we read the book of Revelation, we find that there will come days of tribulation again. But the truth is, is that for those of us who know the Lord. As we go through this life, there, there's the issue of the presence of sin around us. But there is coming a day, the ultimate day, where the presence of sin will be gone and the presence of God will be experienced by those who know and love him in a way that we have never even come close to experiencing before. 
And Paul, as he shares the message of the gospel, wants people to be ready for that day. That day when we meet Jesus. Are you ready for that day? That day is the ultimate. For we know that we'll be like him because we're going to see him as he is. The message of the gospel is very simple. And yet, the depth and the truth of that message is that your sins can be taken away and that your place in heaven can be guaranteed forever because Jesus died on the cross for us as sinners. And he rose again from the dead. And he now offers us the free gift of eternal life. And when we receive that gift, he comes into our life now and secures us for all eternity. That's why Paul was laboring. And that's why we want to be laboring about the message as well. We know eternity for many is at stake. So let's be faithful to share the gospel.